we open the Holy Scriptures to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Our reading will be the first 12 verses of the chapter. Let us hear the word of God beginning at 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 1. Furthermore, then, we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as ye have received of us how ye ought to walk and to please God, so ye would abound more and more. For ye know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification that ye should abstain from fornication, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor, not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles which know not God, that no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter, because that the Lord is the avenger of all such as we also have forewarned you and testified. For God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. He therefore that despiseth, despiseth not man, but God, who hath also given unto us his Holy Spirit. But as touching brotherly love, ye need not that I write unto you, for ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another, And indeed, ye do it toward all the brethren which are in all Macedonia. But we beseech you, brethren, that ye increase more and more, and that ye study to be quiet, and to do your own business, and to work with your own hands, as we commanded you, that ye may walk honestly toward them that are without, and that ye may have lack of nothing. Thus far we read the Holy Scriptures. Based on this passage and the entire word of God, we consider Lord's Day 41 of the Catechism, which explains to us the seventh commandment, thou shalt not commit adultery. Question 108 asks, what doth the seventh commandment teach us? That all uncleanness is accursed of God, And that, therefore, we must with all our hearts detest the same, and live chastely and temperately, whether in holy wedlock or in single life. Doth God forbid in this commandment only adultery and such like gross sins? Since both our body and soul are temples of the Holy Ghost, he commands us to preserve them pure and holy. Therefore, he forbids all unchaste actions, gestures, words, thoughts, desires, and whatever can entice men thereto. First Thessalonians chapter 4 begins an applicatory section of this epistle of the apostle to the Thessalonian church. And as you notice from verse 1, the leading idea in this chapter is growth in grace. The Apostle exhorts the Thessalonians to 
walk as they have learned to walk. And the kind of walk that is way of life that a Christian ought to have is one that pleases God. And as the Apostle goes on to say, this is something in which we should abound more and more. We have a small beginning of the new obedience. But we have the Holy Spirit, as the passage teaches us. And that Holy Spirit is at work in us. And the fruit of His work in us is growth and sanctification. Abounding more and more in a life that is pleasing to God. And that life that is pleasing to God is one that shows its love to God through obedience to his commandments. Jesus said that very simply in John 14, verse 15, If ye love me, keep my commandments. The will of God for you and for me is continuous growth and sanctification. The Apostle Paul wanted to impress that upon the Thessalonians. And he wants to impress that upon us, rather the Holy Spirit wishes to impress that upon us through these inspired words of the Apostle. And now, as we come to the seventh commandment, we see immediately that this exhortation to growth in grace is very pertinent. Because as the Apostle unpacks that exhortation to the Thessalonians, he goes straight to the seventh commandment in verses 3 through 7 of the chapter. This is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and in honor. Part of how we love God is by walking in sexual purity. Part of how we love the neighbor is by preserving our vessel pure and holy. One of the reasons that the Apostle gives such instruction here is that Thessalonica, as a Gentile city, was one that was rife with sexual license, the kind of sins that pervaded much of Greco-Roman culture in that day. Temptation was everywhere for these Christians. There's nothing new under the sun, is there? That's our world. That's our society. Temptation to go against this commandment is everywhere. And our own sinful nature is ever so inclined to give ourselves over to that temptation. And so we need this instruction from the Word of God. Instruction concerning Our sexuality, its proper expression and enjoyment only within the bounds of marriage. An exhortation to walk in purity, to delight first of all in the purity and holiness of God and in dependence upon his grace and his spirit to reflect that in our lives. Yes, it's a sensitive topic, but not one that needs to make us squirm. It's one that is good to hear addressed. To hear addressed from the pulpit. Addressed with scripture's proper balance of frankness as well as modesty. In our day, as in 
Days past. This can't be a topic that's hush-hush. It's important to address so that the word of God can shine its light on this aspect of human life and give us guidance, direct us to the gospel. And so that's what we're going to do this morning as we consider the seventh commandment on the basis of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We want the instruction of the word of God to give us a biblically shaped view of this subject and instruction for a life of purity and holiness. Let's consider Lord's Day 41 under the theme, possessing our vessel in sanctification, using that phrase from verse 4, possessing our vessel in sanctification. Let's look first at the meaning of this. Secondly, the manner in which we possess our vessel. And finally, a few of the outstanding motives that the scriptures give us. We're going to start with that idea in 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 4. Possessing our vessel in sanctification. This is the will of God for us. And so we have to understand what these words mean. The interpretation of 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 4 is actually much debated. And the debate centers on the meaning of that word vessel. What does vessel refer to? And there are really two main interpretive possibilities. The first is that vessel refers to your person. Your body, but not just your body, all that you are, your body and soul. You are a vessel. And there is biblical warrant for this interpretation that your vessel is your body and soul. For example, Romans 9 verse 23 calls the elect vessels of mercy. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 7 speaks about the reality that we have this treasure of the gospel in earthen vessels. Those who proclaim the gospel are weak earthen vessels. We are vessels. 2 Timothy 2 verse 21. If a man therefore purge himself of these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use. So this is a biblical way to understand the word vessel, referring to us, our body, our mind. Going with this interpretation, 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 4 then is an exhortation, keep yourself pure, possess your vessel in sanctification and in honor. Keep your body and your soul pure in terms of what you put into it. A vessel holds things, and we are putting things into our vessel. We only ought to put that which is good and pure into our vessels, and that which comes out of our vessels. The way we use our bodies and our minds ought to be pure and in harmony with the Word of God. Keep your vessel pure. But now, another way to interpret the word vessel is to understand it as referring to one's wife or one's husband your God-given spouse. After all, Paul is addressing every one of you in this passage, both the men of the congregation and the women of the congregation. Your vessel can refer to your spouse. And there's biblical warrant for this too. Think of 1 Peter 3 verse 7, where husbands are exhorted, ye husbands dwell with them, your wife, 
according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel. Both husband and wife are vessels, and in marriage, those two vessels come together, and they are made one. Now, there's something going for both of these interpretations, and many good commentators go in either direction. I tend to favor the first, but good application can be made along both of these lines, and so that's what we're going to do. The calling of 1 Thessalonians 4 is to keep our vessel, our body and soul, pure. But one of the ways that we keep our own body and soul pure is living purely and faithfully in the marriage state with our own husband or our own wife. Possess your vessel in sanctification. What we have here in 1 Thessalonians 4 then is a full-orbed exposition of the seventh commandment. Thou shalt not commit adultery. And that commandment has a negative side, as we see in the, in the passage. Abstain from fornication. Fornication, which is any kind of sexual activity that is outside the boundaries which God has prescribed. Abstain from that and possess your vessel, your body and your soul in sanctification and in honor. Walk in holiness in accordance with God's word. We have a full exposition of the seventh commandment here. Now, starting point for a proper understanding of the seventh commandment is that we have to understand that human sexuality is created by God. And it is one of those things about which God said in the beginning, it is good. Sin, of course, has corrupted it. Just as sin has corrupted every dimension of the human nature. That's what sin does. Sin corrupts and twists. Sin doesn't make anything of its own. Sin doesn't have anything of its own. Sin is a parasite. It feeds on that which God has made good and twists it and corrupts it and perverts it. That's what sin does. And so sin, in the area of human sexuality, rips it out of its God-prescribed boundaries. Sin twists it to a different purpose than what God intended it for. But God made it. And God made it good. God said in the beginning, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him and help meet for him. In the beginning, God made them male and female. And it is God who has inscribed upon the human nature the mutual attraction of the two sexes. And as you read on in that foundational history of Genesis 2, you see that. How right after God created Eve, God himself brought her to Adam. And God himself instituted marriage. God defines what marriage is. Not society. Not the whims of man. God does. He made it. And God defines it as the intimate union of one man and one woman for life. God brought Eve to Adam. And God officiated at the very first marriage. And God said of this marriage, Therefore shall man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. In a wonder work of God, God takes one man and one woman, and he unites them in that one flesh union, so that they become one. In a marvelous and mysterious way. And that's beautiful. Beautiful. A work of God. 
And this history teaches us then that the sexual relationship of a husband and a wife is something that is good, but it is to be expressed and enjoyed only within those God-prescribed boundaries of the marriage relationship. That's the foundation then of the seventh commandment. The seventh commandment at its heart is very positive. And we need to have that perspective on the seventh commandment. This is one commandment perhaps when we can focus and fixate, especially on the negative. And there's a place we have to, we have to deal with the negative and the sins that are forbidden. But remember, at the heart of the seventh commandment is the preservation of this beautiful institution that God has made, marriage. Marriage. And so with that understanding, we come then to the exhortations of the seventh commandment. Possess your vessel in sanctification. What does that mean? Well, it means express and enjoy this gift of God only as God commands and as God designs. Only as he commands. God made it. God commands how we use it. And if we ever transgress those boundaries that God prescribes, it's not good. Within marriage. Within marriage. As 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 5 says, our human sexuality is not given to us to be used in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles which know not God. Those who know not God treat this aspect of their human nature as something that exists for their pleasure, that they may use how they want. That's our world. That's our flesh too. But rather as 1 Corinthians 6.20 says, Ye are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Our bodies minds, our thoughts are all for God. He's purchased us with the blood of His Son, Jesus Christ. And our priority, our goal in all things is to honor Him. Our priority and goal in marriage is to honor Him. Our priority and goal with regard to sex is first of all, be Him and His glory. Possessing your vessel in sanctification means keeping yourself pure. Singles, that means respecting the boundaries that God has prescribed for marriage. Keeping your vessel from any kind of sexual activity that is outside of those boundaries. That includes the adultery of the heart. Remember Jesus' words in Matthew 5. Just as God accounts the roots of murder, we saw that last week, hatred, envy, anger, and the rest, he accounts those things as murder in his eyes, so too the lusts of the heart, the eyes, God sees those things for what they are, adultery of the heart. 
Possess your vessel in purity. Avoid all such things. And as the catechism goes on to say, all unchaste actions, gestures, words, thoughts, desires. Don't fill your vessel with those things. And for the married, that applies to you too. You must possess your vessel in sanctification and honor by giving yourself exclusively to your God-given spouse. Be faithful to her, to him. Keep this gift of God within those boundaries. Only there is it good, is it healthy, is it beautiful. Within God's boundaries, as God commands, as God designs. Your vessel is for your spouse. All that belongs to that vessel, your eyes, your thoughts, your minds, keep your vessel in sanctification and in honor. As God commands and as God designs. There's an application that especially needs to be made in our day in this regard. Possessing your vessel in sanctification and honor means Keeping far from us all those things that would entice us to transgress God's boundaries. And to keep ourselves far from all the perverted sexual material that is awash in our society. We need to hear the call to flee all Pornography, all sexually explicit images and videos that are everywhere and so accessible in our day. We must see that for what it is. The use of pornography is adultery of the heart. It is possessing our vessel in the lust of concupiscence. It is filling our mind with images that become imprinted there. It's not a neutral thing. It harms the body. It harms the mind. It can warp one's view of this good gift of God. It harms marriages. harms future relationships. And above all, it is dishonoring to God who created our vessel, our bodies, and our minds to be dedicated to Him in the beauty of holiness. We must see that. We must see that. Possess your vessel in sanctification and honor. Beloved, flee this scourge. Flee it with all your might. And if you're secretly filling your vessel with this poison, let this word of God be your wake-up call. Let this word of God be the powerful voice of your good shepherd saying, No more! Make your break with that sin. Put it away. Turn to your faithful shepherd, your Savior. 1 John 1 verse 9. We confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Latch on to those words and then get help. Get accountability. Take action now. Now. Though pornography defiles our vessel, there is cleansing. 
there is cleansing. And there is healing. And there is freedom through Jesus Christ. God's grace in Christ is strong enough to break your chains. Believe that. There is plenteous redemption with the Lord Jesus Christ. You are never beyond His help. You are never too deep to be rescued by Him. And so if you're struggling this morning, believer, go to Him. And go to mature fellow saints that you can trust and get help putting this scourge away. Take action now. Possess your vessel in sanctification and honor. Jesus bought it. It's His. Don't give it to the devil. Possess it in sanctification and in honor. That's the calling of the seventh commandment. With regard to that prevalent sexual sin in our day, with regard to all of them, let us possess our vessels in sanctification and in honor. But now, having unpacked the basic meaning of the seventh commandment in connection with 1 Thessalonians 4, let's look at the manner. The manner. How? What are some practical strategies in the battle against sexual sin, which is a battle that rages. We're all involved in that battle. We all share the same human nature that is ever inclined to these sins. Remember that. In the church, whenever we talk about sins such as these, or any sins, we must not be ranking ourselves in tiers of believers as if some of us are above others, and some of us... We don't really struggle with these things and we look down on those who do. Oh no. In the family of faith, we are sinners saved by grace. We all need this gospel. We all need instruction. We're all engaged in that battle against sin. Let's fight shoulder to shoulder against our own sins and against the sins in the church. So what are some battle strategies for fighting against sexual temptation, and for possessing our vessel in sanctification. There are two main ideas I want to point out. The first is flight, and the second is delight. Flight from this, this sin and all that entices us to it, and delight in the holy God And in Jesus Christ who alone satisfies the soul. Those two things. Flight from the sin and delight in God. Let's start with the negative flight. Keeping ourselves sexually pure requires fleeing everything that defiles our vessel. And the scriptures place extra emphasis on flight. We're to flee all sin and temptation. But the scriptures emphasize especially sins that violate the seventh commandment, we are to flee from them. Because these temptations can be so powerful. And we can be foolhardy sometimes, thinking we can stand. And they knock us off our feet quickly. Flee. 1 Corinthians 6.18 says, flee fornication. 1 Thessalonians 4, abstain. And the idea of that word abstain is not just You're close to it, but uh, I'll pass on that today. It's get away from it. Get it as far from you as you can. Abstain. Flee. Flee. And so two things I want to bring up under this heading, flight. 
The first is avoidance. Avoidance. Avoidance not only of the gross forms of this sin, though that's important, but let the language of the catechism, especially at the end of answer 109, let this language be on our minds. Avoid whatever can entice men thereto. That's where our standard needs to be. Not the standard of the Pharisees, which said, or who said, well, I haven't committed adultery out of wedlock, so I'm good. No, our standard should be here. I avoid all that may entice me, tempt me to these sins. I'm intentional about that. I make effort not to expose myself willingly to temptation. Of course, in our sex-saturated culture, you can't avoid all temptation. We arm ourselves with the word of God when those temptations come upon us. But we can do everything in our God-given might not to willingly walk into temptation. Avoidance. That means entertainment. Entertainment that has sexually explicit content. Whether this is a music, whether this is music, whether it's a video, whatever it is. If there is something in it that entices, that puts a stumbling block in front of me, that's out of bounds. Such entertainment is like pouring acid into my vessel. It corrodes. It's going to have an effect. Avoid it by not bringing it into your life, into your house. Not getting together with friends to entertain ourselves with games or movies that are going to depict sexually inappropriate things. Possess your vessel in sanctification. Don't use your vessel as a cup into which this poison is poured. Avoid, avoid. Crucial to avoidance in, in marriage and in our homes is that we're open with each other. Husbands and wives, be open with each other about what we do with our devices, what we watch on our screens. The point isn't to create an atmosphere of suspicion. The point is not to have our Christian homes be a police state. The point is openness and honesty. We want that, don't we, so that we're all protected. When we know how powerful these temptations are, we want protection. We want accountability in our homes. That's good. That's good. Let's not try to stand alone on our own strength. Accountability is healthy. Be open with one another. And let us all stay away from those places, those things, those people that tempt us to sin. This isn't an area to toy with. Proverbs 5 verse 8 says of the temptress. Remove thy way far from her and come not nigh to the door of her house. Notice, wisdom is not merely this. That I don't go into her house. Wisdom is this. Don't even walk past her house. Don't even get close to the door. 
That's wisdom. Sometimes this means inconveniencing our lives. But it's worth a little inconvenience, isn't it? It is. It is. And so the question for you and for me is, does our entertainment, does our internet activity, does the use of our smartphones, do all of these things accord with Proverbs 5.8? Don't even get close to the door. Or do we walk by the door often? Do we camp out by the door? Perhaps hoping we might get a little peek through the window. No, avoid, avoid, flee. Don't take the fire to your bosom. It will burn, will burn. That's the wisdom of the scriptures. Avoid, avoid. An important application here is for parents. Parents, talk to your children about the dangers of sexual temptation. Teach them about these things. Guide them. I know it can be very uncomfortable to broach this topic. No one likes to talk about it. But recognize, if you don't, the world is going to. Yes, we have to be wise and address these things in an age-appropriate manner with our children, of course. But we must remember, the world is not waiting for our kids to grow up. Satan wants to get his claws in them as soon as he can. We must be vigilant here. We must teach our children. We must be parents who are like the children of Issachar, men of understanding who knew the times and acted accordingly. One of the very tragic things in our day and age is how many youth get wrapped up and trapped in pornography, even at a young age. And one of the reasons is is that they stumble upon it. They might not even be looking for it, but they stumble upon it because it's everywhere. And that's why we have to be so vigilant. Monitoring the internet, the digital devices, so that we know what's going on. That can't be stressed enough. The need to monitor and know how our internet and devices are being used. The idea is out there today, and it does creep into our circles, into our homes too, that internet access and internet privacy is an inalienable human right. That's nonsense. It's not a human right. Greatest care must be exercised here. We would never send our children to go play in a playground that's in the middle of a minefield. Say, that's crazy. Well, the internet is a minefield. Care, care, diligence. Avoidance. Now, secondly and more briefly, flight also includes amputation. Avoidance, yes, but sometimes amputation is necessary too. When mere avoidance isn't enough, when there's something that is a consistent stumbling block for us, the calling of the word of God is Cut it off. Get rid of it. Because of what it's going to do to you. You can't afford to have this thing around. Amputate. That's what Jesus says in Matthew 5 verse 29. And if thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee. 
For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. Amputation hurts. Yes, it's going to hurt the flesh. It's not going to be pleasant. Denying one's flesh is not easy. But it's a must. It's a must. You know what one of the devil's most effective lies is today? One of his most effective lies is this. You can't live without that. You can't possibly give that up. Think of how difficult your life's going to be if you can't use that. The internet, that smartphone, whatever it may be, you can't possibly live without it. That's a very effective lie of the devil. Because if we're struggling with sexual sin, if we're struggling with pornography, What the devil is saying is, you can't afford to give up what's killing you. You see, the danger of that lie and how destructive it can be. You can't survive without my snares, the devil says. Oh no. The only thing we can't live without isn't the thing. Person. God. We can live without everything else. In fact, if there's something that's a continual source of temptation, a continual stumbling block in our lives, and we think we can't live without it, we've just learned something. There's our idol. There's our idol. And there's all the more reason to amputate it. At least for now. The only thing we can't live without is God. We can live without anything that gets in the way of following God and living as he commands. So let us see that lie of the devil for what it is. If we're struggling with sexual sin and this smartphone is a continual source of temptation, even though I might need it for work, even though this modern world expects me to have one, what's more important? To amputate that? Or as Jesus says, For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and that, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. Nothing's more important than cutting these sins off, even if it's a horrible inconvenience. Let us hear that wisdom of God to avoid and to amputate. Those are our battle tactics against these sins. That's the negative side. Now we want to get to the positive side, and this is really the heart. This is the heart of our battle tactic against sexual sins. The key, the key to possessing our vessel in sanctification, the key to sexual purity is delighting in God and finding your abiding satisfaction and fulfillment in Christ. To put it very succinctly, Christ is the key to purity. Christ is the key. The key. All sexual sin boils down to this. I feel empty. 
And I need something to fill that emptiness inside. And so I'm going to look to this. I'm going to look to this pleasure that this sin gives me to satisfy the hunger of my soul. All sexual sin and really all sin boils down to this. I am seeking to fill myself with something that will satisfy. And the horrible lie of these sins and all sin is it'll never satisfy. It says it will. Sin always comes to us and says this, indulge me and I will make you happy. Indulge me and you will be filled. Indulge me, it will be good. And it's a murderous lie because sin only leaves us empty and guilty and beaten and bruised. At the heart of sexual sin is lust. Lust is out of bounds desire. It's desire that is inherently selfish. Lust looks past all that God has given me and fixes on an object that I want and I must have to be happy and to be satisfied. That's the psychology of lust. That lust may be directed to an object, and that's covetousness. I won't be happy until I have that thing my neighbor has. Or lust may be directed toward a person. I desire her vessel, his vessel, and I won't be happy till I have it. And you see the danger of what lust does there. Lust turns a person into an object. It's the very opposite of love. Love is this, I will give myself for the good of that other person. Lust says, that person will be the object that I consume to fill myself. Lust is The opposite of love. It's selfish and self-serving. And it seeks to fill one's emptiness by consuming the object it desires. And so lust is perpetually ungrateful and discontent. What I have isn't enough. I must have that. I must have that person. Then I will be satisfied. I don't see all that God has given me. I'm not happy with what God has given me. But every time lust feasts, every time lust gets what it wants, it's not enough. Every time sinful lust feasts, it's left more hungry than when it began. And that's why lust always grows. It doesn't stay put. It grows. And it can spiral into deeper and more deadlier passions. That's our sinful nature. It's idolatry. I must have that to be happy. And now, what what is the, the antidote to this lust that is ingrained in our sinful nature? The antidote is Christ. Christ is the key to overcoming lust. Christ is the key to purity. When we realize that nothing can fill our emptiness but Christ. And all of his blessings of salvation, nothing can truly fulfill us except a relationship with God. Nothing is truly joyful and satisfying except that which is in harmony with his divine will. That which is pleasing to him, Christ alone fills and satisfies. When we realize that and live in that truth, 
Lust loses its fire. Sin loses its allure. I'm not saying that we'll never be tempted. No, we have our flesh. We have our old man that we have to fight against. But the power of sin can't exert itself like it once did when Christ is everything to us. And when we're constantly going to Christ and his gospel and the blessings of salvation and all that is beautiful and good that he gives us when we go there and we find our fulfillment there, sin loses its allure. When we delight in him, then we will detest what he detests. Here we can come to the language in the catechism. In the first question and answer of Lord's Day 41, it calls us to detest all uncleanness. How do we detest something that is so appealing to our sinful nature? The key to detesting it is beholding it in the light of the beauty and the glory of Christ. And when the light of Christ shines upon all the uncleanness of sin, we see it for what it is, and it's ugly to us. If you're struggling with pornography, when the light of Christ shines upon those hidden works of darkness and you see them for what they are, then you see how detestable it is and you will detest it and want it gone. Rid of it. I hate it. Because I love this Christ who gave himself for me, who in his grace shed his blood to pay for all my sins, to make me his own, to redeem me body and soul so that my vessel can be consecrated to him. If you take anything away from the sermon this morning, let it be this. Abiding satisfaction and joy is only found in Christ. And Christ is the solution to all sin. Christ is our defense against all temptation. Run to him. Delight in him. Delighting in him. Your detestation for all uncleanness will grow. Because love of sin and love of Christ cannot sit side by side in us. They can't. The love of Christ must displace the love of sin. Christ. So this truth has much application. Has much application for the single life and for the married life. Let Christ be the center. The center. The absolute center. Let us be going to the word. Drinking in the living water that is in the gospel. That's our defense against temptation. And now we see how the ordinary practices of the Christian life are of great help to us in the battle against temptation. Doing our devotions, being in the word, keeps us in contact with Christ. Christ is set before us in the word. And when we're in the word, we see his beauty, we see his glory. And that kindles our love for him and kindles our hatred for all that is opposed to him. Be in the word, be in the word. Singles and married persons alike. Let Christ be the center of our marriages. That's the best defense against sexual sin in marriage. That's the best defense against the ingratitude and discontent of lust. It's Christ. He is my all. 
He's my all. Love and serve Christ together. Youth, as you look ahead to marriage, who are you going to marry? Why? Don't focus on the outward. Focus on this, Christ. Christ must be the center of your marriage. Christ must be the most important thing. Oneness in faith in Jesus Christ. That must be your chief consideration. Not how attractive she is. Not what a great personality he has. But Christ, Christ. Be wise. Don't sacrifice spiritual things. Flourishing marriage is only possible where there's oneness in Christ and mixed marriages are a recipe for misery and there is a history of shipwrecks that show this. Let no one think they will be the exception. Make Christ the center of your dating and your marriage should the Lord be willing to give that gift to you. Christ first. That's the manner. And now briefly we turn to a couple of the chief motives. We've heard the call, possess your vessel in sanctification and honor. We've seen the manner in which we do this, flight, avoiding all that tempts us, amputating those temptations out of our lives, and above all, going to Christ and delighting in him who satisfies the soul. Now our motives, what are our motives? Many, but first among those many is the glory of God. God is pure. God is light. In him is no darkness at all. No shadow of turning. A child of God wants to be like God. We want to reflect God's beauty. God's glory. We want to be pure as he is pure. When we delight in him. We want to live a life that is delightful in his eyes. Because his affections are our affections. The glory of God. Catechism says in answer 109, since both our body and soul are temples of the Holy Ghost, there's our reason, there's our motive. That's who we are now. That's who we are. Notice that language. We are temples of the Holy Ghost. How so? Redemption. That's what Jesus' work on the cross has done for us. Through his death, through the shedding of his blood, He has purchased us body and soul. He has made us his vessel, which he intends to fill with his goodness, his mercy, and his grace. Having redeemed us to himself, he fills us with his indwelling spirit. And his spirit sanctifies, makes us his temple. And the Holy Spirit will not dwell in a pigsty. The Holy Spirit makes clean, makes us clean from within. There's our motive. Don't defile what the Holy Spirit has made clean. That grieves him. Show gratitude and love to God by possessing your vessel in sanctification and honor unto his glory. What glorifies him is also good for us. Purity is good. Purity tends to health and spiritual well-being. Glorifies God is good for us. So for the glory of God, possess your vessel, sanctification. Let us end with comfort and hope. The sermon this morning has addressed a sore spot in our sinful nature. 
It addresses sins that real believers battle with. This is not abstract. This is real. We struggle with these things. Christ, who fills us and satisfies the soul, Christ is our comfort and our hope. He's the hope for believers struggling with sexual sin. In Him there is forgiveness. If you are thinking back on sins of the past, don't hang on to that guilt, those sins that you've turned from. They're washed away in the blood of Jesus Christ. Forgiven. Is there anything too scarlet for the blood of Christ to wash white? No. Nothing. Nothing. No stain of sin is so permanent that the blood of Christ can't wash it away. No stain. No stain can stay there. The blood of Christ washes it. Believe that. Hold on to that truth. So you go to a powerful word like 1 Corinthians 6 verse 11, which is such a comforting word. In 1 Corinthians 6, 9 and 10, the Apostle Paul lists all kinds of sins. And he says that those who continue in those sins will not inherit the kingdom of God. And included in that list are many sexual sins. But then in verse 11 of 1 Corinthians 6, he says, And such were some of you. Were. That's not who you are anymore. What are you? The Catechism says, You are a temple of the Holy Spirit, believer. Such were some of you. But ye are washed, ye are sanctified, ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. That's who we are, people of God. We're the washed, we're the sanctified, we're the justified by the Spirit of God. We're the temples of the Holy Spirit. That's our identity. And so as we go forward in the battle against these sins, keep that before your heart and your mind. This is who you are. And may it be a motive to fight all the harder to turn from sin if we are walking in it right now. The power is in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the comfort is in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the hope is in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Christ whose blood wipes away guilt. Whose blood washes clean. Whose power means sin shall not reign in your mortal body. In Christ, all things are become new. So beloved, with heart aflame, with gratitude and love for this Christ, possess your vessel in sanctification and in honor. Amen. Faithful God and Heavenly Father, we come to Thee as poor sinners. Whenever we consider one of the commandments of Thy law, it casts its light over the dark spots of our lives. And when we are honest, we see that those dark spots are many. Humble us, that's good for us, so that we may turn and confess our sins, and in obedience to Thy word, fight against them and put them away. But also lift our hearts with the comfort of the gospel, That Jesus Christ has died for us poor sinners. And that sinner is no longer what defines our identity. Rather, who we are in Christ. Washed 
sanctified, justified. Grant that this truth may propel us forward in victorious and joyful battle against sin, looking ever unto the author and finisher of our faith, our Lord Jesus Christ. It is in his name we pray. Amen.